I don't spend a ton of time on Facebook, but I do check in there every once in a while because I just like people and I think it's interesting. But I recently read this statement about Facebook that Facebook has really degenerated down to having primarily three things on it. It has political rants and tirades. It's got selfies, and it's got, it's got these amazing videos that are cheap entertainment. You know, it always says, check out this amazing video, dot, 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 and you click on it, and it's a cat that does something or whatever. And it's a reminder to me, um, in one small way, of how many things life offers us that are distractions, how many things that can eat up our time in trivialities, things that are not of really any great benefit. I've been thinking a lot about careless distraction and purpose and meaning. Hopefully some of you have done some introspection as we turn into the new year and and starting the 2015. I was thinking about Thoreau's famous quote from Walden about how most men, he says, live lives of quiet desperation. And there's just so much of a, a need for purpose and direction and a sense of meaning to struggle through this life. And that's offered to us in the gospel, and we need it. We need it because our culture is so fragmented and, and broken and, and scattered. We start to forget where we belong. Even as I say this, I think of the fact that my brother lives on the furthest coast. He's on the California coast, and I'm all the way over here on the Atlantic coast. Aside from Hawaii and Alaska, we couldn't be further in this country. And that's not by choice. It's just the circumstances. It's just how jobs took us and whatever. But we, we as a people are fragmented and we're, we're scattered. And so we start to wonder, who, who is my people? Where do I belong? Where do I fit? I can understand the, the, what seems like a, a recent resurgence in genealogies and the study of genealogy and, and what our lineage looks like. Because when culture is so scattered like that, we want to know, who are my people? Where do I belong? Where do I come from and where am I headed? Now, last week, Chris talked to us about identity and some of the scams of false identities in this world, and our identity needs to be in God. And today, I want to shift from identity to belonging and ask the question of, where do I belong? And my goal today in this sermon is that we would all consider God's blessings that He has blessed us with in Christ and join in His purpose and what He is busy doing in the world. And so we're going to look at that Ephesians passage today. If you want to turn there in a a Bible, it would be really helpful Ephesians is an amazing, amazing book. It's a very short letter, only six, six chapters. The Apostle Paul wrote it while he was in prison, and you can't really tell that he's in prison because the language is so lofty. His, his body might be chained, but his soul was utterly free to worship God, and he was overflowing with blessings. And what's cool about Ephesians is it was written not to a specific church, although it bears a church's name. It was way more general in its purpose And so it applied to churches throughout the whole region, and some even suspect that the reader was supposed to supply the name at the introduction, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, to the saints in, and there's a blank, Fleming Island, Orange Park, fill in whatever you need there. And in six chapters, Paul lays out for us this glorious picture of the people of God redeemed for his purposes and set on mission. So I want to look at Ephesians and start out with verse 4, where it says in verse 4 that even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. God is in the business, not of taking another people group and repurposing it, but of creating his own people. And he does this twice in history, once in the old covenant and once in the new covenant, fulfilling the old covenant. 
He didn't just go to Abram and say, okay, Abram and your father and all the people that live in this area, okay, you guys were about this. Now you're going to be about this. Instead, he says, Abram, I want you to leave your father's land and go to a land I will show you, and then I will bless you and make your offspring as numerous as the stars. And God chooses him and then creates a people through Abraham. Now, that theme, that idea of God creating a people is fulfilled in in Christ, who is now the head of the new people of God. And in Christ, God has established a new society, a new people to which we belong. Paul writes elsewhere in Titus 2.14, he says that Christ gave himself to purify a people for his own possession, that God wanted to have a people that were his people. And in Christ, that is us. That's the church. I I looked in a theological dictionary of what the definition of the church is, and it's a complex topic, but I found this to be a really faithful description of what the church universal is. The church is the whole body of those who, through Christ's death, have been savingly reconciled to God and his people and have received new life. So it's a whole body of people. In other words, there is only one church in the world. Yes, we have different denominations and all that sort of thing, but there is one church in the world, and it is the body, the whole body of people who Christ has redeemed and have new life in him and are reconciled one to another. We've received new life. Now, there, you've probably come across some of this teaching that is not helpful. I would call this, these are ideas that are maybe partially true but tend to diminish the truth. And these are things like salvation is about getting into heaven later. You know, I want to become a Christian so when I die I can go to heaven. I think while there's a bit of truth in there, I think it lets us down significantly because it really doesn't give us any vision for now. Instead of getting into heaven later, I want to get heaven into me now and I want to join in God's work here now. Another thing that's kind of a faulty idea is this idea of my own personal Jesus. When I was in high school, a band named Depeche Mode came out with this song, and the refrain just kept saying, my own personal Jesus, someone who cares, someone who's there, my own personal Jesus. And what it did is it made Jesus, you know, who is huge and majestic, down to almost like a token I can put in my pocket. Now, the song has a different they're, they're explaining something else in that song, but the refrain, my own personal Jesus, my own personal Jesus, just keeps ringing, and you start thinking, Jesus is my, my, my own little, you know, put him in my pocket here, I got my Jesus, and it makes him so small, and it really, really brings down the grandeur of what we have in the good news. Another thing that happens that is faulty, I think, is the idea of asking Jesus into my heart. Now, again, we, Christ does dwell in us, But if I think of Christ as just, I ask Christ to come into my heart, then it's just too small. Rather than, I want to surrender my heart to his lordship and join into this great new society that he is creating where he is the head and those in him are the body. So it it makes it bigger. It makes it on the biblical and, and cosmic scale as it should. It's better to surrender our heart to his lordship rather than think of just asking him to come to me, because it can look like he's coming just to serve me and my own personal Savior, but not also my Lord. In verse 9 and 10, um, God lays out for us his purpose, which is really helpful to know what God's will is in the world so we can know where to join him. He says, Paul writes, that God has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, 
and things in earth. You know, when in our service, we do something uh, between the ministry of the Word and the ministry of the table where we exchange the peace. And while many churches have kind of an informal meet and greet to, to say hi to those around us, in, in a church like ours that has a sense of sacredness and uh, ritual that has meaning, that is not just a meet and greet. It's actually a symbolic act where we are saying, in Christ, we are now reconciled one to another as well as with Him. There's a vertical and a horizontal dimension to the good news, that we are now made into one people, this new society. So the peace of the Lord be with you and also with you is an exchange of that where we're reminding ourselves of this sense of belonging. We are now part of this new people. We're no longer disparate and scattered and not sure where our family is. We belong to the household of God. We exchange that in the peace. Belonging in Christ is an important theme of Paul's. In fact, in these seven verses, six times it says in Christ or in him or in the beloved or in whom. This idea of being in Christ is really important. And I was trying to think of a good illustration for that. One, of course, is the idea of Christ is the head and we are the body. And the head uh, determines where the body is going to go. But I was thinking of other potential illustrations. And forgive me where this fails because all analogies for God break down at some point. You can tell me later where this one breaks down. But I was thinking about a big group of people just milling about in an urban center, kind of in, in the middle of an urban area, a town square, let's say, and they're walking in different directions and busy with all their things, and a big bus comes through. And, and anyone who gets on that bus now is united in a direction. And if Christ is the bus driver, then being in him is joining in his direction and where he's going. Where's he headed? Where's this bus going? What is his mission in the world? Now, who's on the bus with me? because we're now all going wherever the bus driver is going to turn. I no longer have control of where the bus is going to turn. And I think it's a good thing at points to put ourselves in the hands of someone else, especially when it's the Lord. So we are in Christ and joining Him in His plan for the fullness of time. Now this passage, chapter 1, has a word in here that causes people a lot of heartache. It's the word predestined. And if you look also at verse 4, it says, even as he chose us in him, he chose us in him, which is the concept of election. And I don't want to get off on a rabbit trail on that, but I want to point something that's really important out. When the Bible talks of these concepts, it does so in the plural. He chose us. And what we as individual people, individualized people, Westerners tend to do is we think he chose me, not us. And so the elect is me, or you, or you. And you could imply, but not so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so. And the way that the Bible looks at this is not on an individual level. It says, Christ is the elect one, and all those who are in Christ share in the predestined benefits of membership. So the question becomes, are you in Christ? Because he is the one God has elected for salvation, and he is the one who's the head of a new people. So we belong to Christ and receive the benefits of membership, which are what? Paul, in this passage, goes through, this is, this is a run-on sentence, by the way, and the English tried to fix Paul's bad grammar for us, but starting in verse 3 all the way through 14 is one long run-on sentence with commas but no periods. Paul, it's like he's, he's spewing forth praise and all these great blessings, and he's really, remember, he's in prison in Rome, probably chained to somebody but he is just overflowing with praise because of what God in Christ has done for us. So look at some of these blessings. 
Obviously, He chose us. There's this election of Christ and all those who are in Christ to receive these benefits in love. We have the love of God for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. We've been talking a lot about that in church, this idea of adoption. It just keeps coming up in the Scriptures. Adoption as sons and daughters, where we belong and are co-heirs with Christ. Adoption with Jesus Christ and through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to, to the praise of His glorious grace. There's that word grace that just keeps coming up, His undeserved gift. And He's blessed us in the Beloved, capital B, the Beloved Christ. We have redemption through His blood and the forgiveness of our trespasses and the riches of His grace. That word comes up again. All these things are benefits that we have. Redemption. He is redeeming, buying back, adding the value back into what was lost and, and calling a people to Himself. Later this month, I'm going as, a, as an assistant leader on a, a retreat that's an annual retreat for Anglican clergy. And it's a rector's retreat. So, um, there will be 11 uh, rectors on this trip, <clears throat> and I was looking, seven of them are participants, and the others are facilitating the retreat, and I was looking at the names of those rectors in their churches, and of the seven who are participating, three of them have churches that are named Church of the Redeemer, and I thought that was interesting. Of all the things you could name a church, there are three churches of the Redeemer, and I think there are two reasons for that. One, and I'm going to ask these guys when I see them, because some of them are brand new churches that they started from scratch, and then they had to pick a name, and that church named itself Church of the Redeemer. One of the reasons I think that there are a lot of Church of the Redeemers out there is because God has really blessed a certain Church of the Redeemer in New York City, which is where Tim Keller is the pastor. But I think another reason, and more importantly, is because the church of our day today, the universal church in the world today, has begun to grasp God's redemptive mission in the world and want to join into that. We want to be part of seeing all things united in Christ. And so many people have understood him as our redeemer, society's redeemer, and Christ has come on this mission, and we want to join him in it. And so there are these churches of the redeemer out there. Now, people in Christ experience belonging and purpose. And what John Stott said about this passage that I really liked is he said, doctrine goes to doxology, goes to duty. Doxology is a fancy word for praise. So when we get our doctrine right and we get our head wrapped around it, we start thinking about the significance of this passage. We cannot but praise Him. We have to overflow with worship. When we realize that before the foundation of the world, before sin had even entered in, before anything had happened other than God Himself, He predestined us for membership. I mean, that is mind-blowing that He knew all that was going to happen and did that so that we could belong to Him, so that we could experience these blessings. This is doctrine, the doctrine of creation, the doctrine of redemption, of salvation in Christ. Doctrine will naturally give birth to doxology, praise, and then out of that duty. So, in verse 4, it says that He redeemed us, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. He chose us to be a holy and blameless people before Him. So, that's His work, and our participation in it is the work of us becoming a holy people who are having Christ formed in us. So we become, we, we give our hearts to God and we become part of Christ and we are in Christ. And then we begin to experience Christ formed in us where we become more and more like Christ. Now, as we think about 2015, as we think about maybe some resolutions, what are we going to resolve to do? As we think about the greatness of membership in Christ 
and that this is our people. We are part of the people of God in Christ. Let us have a life of worship, overflowing with worship. We should pursue worship. We should study it. We should learn to worship, becoming a people who are constantly with the name Christ or the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit on our lips. That in conversations, it's just because we're overflowing with worship, conversations naturally steer to the things of God. Even in workplaces, in the marketplace, wherever you might be, people who are overflowing with worship are constantly thinking, Christ, Christ, God, what is he doing? How can I join him? Life of worship, not just Sunday morning, but seven days a week. And then the pursuit of holiness in verse 4, that not only should we wait for God to form Christ in us, but we should take steps to help it happen as well. We should cry out for God to purify us, give us clean hands and a pure heart, to use the ancient practices of Christianity to draw near to him. Things like silence, solitude, Bible study, prayer, fasting, all these things that we looked at in the Wednesday worship last semester. And then finally, that we should share in his uniting work, that it is his plan, the mystery of his will was revealed, that his purpose was that all things would be united in Christ. He is, it's, it's kind of like he's picking up all of the broken pieces or at least all the pieces who are willing to be picked up and to come into reforming what was lost. And we can join in that and be a part of his redemptive work in the world. You know, we can't build the church, but we can make disciples. Jesus' work is he said, I will build my church. But he said to us, you go and make disciples. And if we try to build the church, what we end up doing is sometimes not getting either. But if we try to make disciples and be disciples, the byproduct is always the church, a people who know their belonging in Christ and their work of joining him and uniting all things in the world. I'm very excited about 2015 and what God is going to do in and through us this year. And it begins by understanding doctrine and moves to worship and then our dutiful part in following him. Now, would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this letter to the Ephesians, which is a letter to us. Help us to receive your word for us this day. Thank you for making us your people, giving us belonging. Help us in these coming Sundays as we reflect on what it means to belong, that we'd have a deep sense of ownership, that we are loved and in you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.